Hi, welcome back to part two. If you've just tuned in, I'm Danny Hill, the monk on a motorbike. And today my guest is Daniel Ingram, who caused a storm some time ago when he announced he was an Arahat or fully enlightened. This is a long interview, so please feel free to stop and start. There are show notes with an outline of what we're talking about and when on my website, www.monkonamotorbike.com. And if you've got any questions or feedback for myself or Daniel, please feel free to get in touch. My email is also on the website. Enjoy. Reading around sort of other descriptions, say from Sri Nisargadatta, and I was reading Susan Seagal recently wrote about it, that there, there, there's a sense for, at this stage, that, you know, the supreme self, it's almost like they're operating from the unmanifest, I don't know, the supreme self, it's almost like there's another consciousness, so they seem to have their mind there doing this stuff and they're watching it coming and going, but there's something vast that they seem to be tuned into. Is this a right, am I reading this right, or is this, what's mm. the... Okay, so there's definitely a whole bunch of different ways you can language the experience of everything just seemingly experiencing itself where it is and just happening naturally. And depending on how you language it will create some good things and some bad things, right? So any, any linguistic choice is a choice and you just have to live with the consequences of the way you language stuff. And sometimes it's really skillful to language stuff that way and sometimes not so much. I actually think it's, you know, I sort of language it depending on the person. So the problem with a podcast is I can't know who's listening and like how I would language it for them to try to counterbalance whatever, you know, sort of direction I thought they were going too far in. I can't know how to do that because I don't know you, right? But I can, I, so what I'm gonna do is throw out a number of different ways and kind of talk about the pros and cons and then you can hopefully pick something useful for yourself find whatever and, works, and do yeah. it yourself and find what works for you to come to some reasonable relationship to this obviously somewhat different way of experiencing things. Um, from a certain point of view, you can use true self-language, and I just pissed off a whole bunch of Buddhists, right? Oh God, sorry. Like, but it can it can easily go too far, right? So I have no problems pissing some people off if I need to, right? I hope Tom Pepper's not listening to this, dear God. Anyway, um, so right, so true self-language sort of helps people embody this whole experience, helps people really be here and be present and recognize that from a very straightforward everything experiencing itself where it isness the the experience of this fan that my finger is now touching or the colors of it or the shapes or the glint on the metal cover or the experience of the airplane sounds flying above us is just one more sensation in the room like these fingers like this nose like this voice like these thoughts they're just experiences in the room right and you could say the whole room was me or you could say the whole room was not me. You could say both equally, or you could just say there's a whole bunch of experiences in the room, right? And that sounds weird to people, right? They're like, yeah, but which is it? Well, actually it's just experiences in the room. You can language it one way or the other. If you language it in terms of no self, that will help people, some people not be so like sort of attached to and identified with some things and help them get some distance and space to sort of objectively look at stuff, whatever that means, and it's a problematic term. Um, but in the same kind of way, some people will just kind of start dissociating and pushing it away and getting really aversive and saying, oh, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. And they'll kind of, they won't really embody the, the experience. They won't really pay attention. It's, it can become very aversive and that's a problem, right? Because it is clarity that helps wake this thing up and aversion and clarity are 
not all that compatible in some way, right? You're pushing everything away rather than just clearly being with it as it is. That said, from a certain other point of view, like if, if you go true self, true self, true self, some people are gonna be like, oh, it's all me. I am the universe. I am God. I am you. I am everything. In some way that is also just not realistically true, right? No. I mean, yes, but no, right? I mean, get over yourself, right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like, and so, <laughs> and so, right? Yeah, like, dude, you know, or whatever. So, like, you know, so both of these things can have their problems, right? And so, but from another point of view, like, this all just does seem to be, like, the fact that everything is just experiences happening and this seemingly sort of magical is the wrong way. It's very natural, but it's also, like, amazing that everything just shows up, you know, that, that the, the, the person, you know, there that I'm talking to, they're moving around and looking this way and this is looking that way and like heads nodding and things moving and thoughts coming out and incredible processing happening so fast and these ideas arising. We don't even know what those are. Like what the heck is an idea? I don't know, but it seems kind of magical and mysterious in this amazing way. Yeah, and they just yeah, yeah. arise yeah. in space like as these incredible things and like, holy shit, right? So there's something, there is something other mindly or otherworldly mindly about the fact that everything is perceiving itself like the universe is perceiving itself and again that sounds like total new age wacko crap to some people and i just pissed off the scientific materialists right <laughs> who could you know i'm sorry about that right but i could then go totally scientific materialist and say well these are all just colors and images and stuff happening in some brain somewhere we don't know where that brain is but like you know things are blue or soft those are just impressions that are and so this whole thing is kind of like a holodeck this is another you know the, of sense experience like for those who know star trek like you know holographic world that's created in some mind somewhere things aren't you know atoms aren't actually soft roses don't actually smell like roses blue things aren't actually blue things this is just an impression and so all we have are the impressions we don't actually have and we can extrapolate a lot from those impressions about what the material reality might actually be that's what materialist science does but that's very different from having our experience actually be that and so assuming that our experience actually is that, people can easily forget that these are just experiences that in theory are created in some material brain somewhere. Um, and so, you know, there's, again, lots of ways to language this, but it really, the languaging of it should really depend on the person you're working with and what their objectives are and kind of what their personality style is and, and what calls to them, what their goals are, you know, what the context of the conversation is. And so each of these linguistic styles may or may not be skillful in various contexts, and it really just kind of depends. Um, again, I'm a pragmatist about these things. I don't, I don't care necessarily about the language. I care that it somehow leads to good outcomes. And so figuring out what language leads to good outcomes or what people are looking for or you know something beneficial, that's what I find more interesting than attaching to any specific way of languaging it. And there's, I think, just a couple more myths that, that are important to talk about. Something you've talked a lot about in your book, which we'll get back to, Mastering the Hardcore Teachings of the Buddha, is this idea in traditional Theravadan Buddhism, a particular form of Buddhism, that as you move along the path to enlightenment, certain what are described as unwholesome mental states will be let go of on each path. You know, your, your anger will go and jealousy will go. And by the time you reach Arahatship, they've all gone you know you have and you've quite clearly said and a few other people said no that's just it's just not true i wonder if you could talk about that yeah so the the that's called the 10 fetter model for those or 10 you know, fetter yeah the 10 fetters that they say get eliminated um it 
So the 10 fetter model is not entirely crazy, it's just mostly crazy. And it definitely requires some interpretation. So fetters are things that bind you yeah, to life, right. aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Sure, or bind you in delusion, or bind you in that sort of perceptual suffering. And at this point, we're very much talking about sort of wisdom training level stuff. So this is perceptual level stuff. We're talking about the level of... Um, so we're, we're, this is framed in a very specific way. And it it, it is kind of true that... I mean, that there is something to the paths. There is something to the theory but it's much more about um, eliminating the sense of duality with regard to these things. So things, aspects of experience progressively become sort of integrated into the natural way of perceiving things that is the second way, this other way of talking about it, this sort of different way of interpreting the data that does not interpret it as a separate, permanent, stable, centralized agent, doer, watcher, knower, controller, but instead is just everything happening on its own, or as, as described very nicely in the Bahia of the Barkcloth Sutta, one of my favorite suttas, found in the Udana, I think it's 1.10, something like that. Um, anyway, uh, you'll have, you know, the, my the brain Bahia is funny things. The of the Bahia so, of the Barkcloth Sutta. Oh, Barkcloth, okay. Yeah. And um, so it, this is the guy who said, Buddha, I want to wake up, tell me, tell me some wisdom. And the Buddha said, okay, uh, I, here's some quick wisdom for you. I'm paraphrasing, but he's, he's like, <laughs> the lay, bridged it, lay it on me, Buddha. <laughs> right. So and the Buddha laid it on him. He said, in the seeing, just the seen. In the hearing, just the heard. In the thinking, just the thought. In the feeling, just the felt. In the cognized, just the cognized. In the, you know. And so um, in that way, it is true that progressively more and more of our experience can be experienced that way where it's just sensations happening in the room. It's just emotions or you know, the qualities of sensations that make up emotions happening in the room. It's just thoughts arising and vanishing in this space. And when I say room, you could be in a forest and then it would just be in the forest or whatever. But I just happen to be in a room and you're probably in a room too, or a car or wherever you are. Maybe you're walking in a park listening to this, I don't know. But in the park, so in the park, there's just thoughts arising in the park, right? Or just physical sensations, colors, just where they are very straightforwardly. This is not woo woo weird just very straightforwardly and literally arising and vanishing naturally as they do where they are. And it is true that progressively um, prog more and more layers of experience and deeper layers of experience um, get sort of integrated into this way of experiencing things. And so that's the part of the 10 fetter model that is true. And so progressively you do get the increased benefits of the proportionality, something in the sort of automatic clarity, something in the non-slipperiness or stickiness where the mind um, doesn't uh, perseverate in the same way and sort of spin out in fantasies and, and um, unhelpful thinking that just kind of perpetuates emotional stimuli way past their, their skillful um, uh, lifetimes. And so uh, there, there is sort of something to those models, but they need to be interpreted and taken with a grain of salt and tested out for yourself. Go do the experiment get really good at perceiving sensate clarity if you want to, and then be honest with yourself and say, hey, what's it actually like to be a human here today? You know, what actually happens when stressful things occur? What actually happens when amazing things occur? You know, what's it, what's it actually like? And just be honest. And so I think that's the big trick. The problem with these models is, the great thing about these, you know, the sort of the fanciful models is they can be so inspiring for some people to practice. The downside of them is that they can cut you off from a lot of your actual humanity. And the problem is, as soon as you start cutting yourself off from aspects of yourself, this parts of yourself you don't like, 
you know, or that the models tell you are bad or shouldn't be there or eventually will be eliminated, then it's at that point you instantly start creating shadow sides. You're back in the game again. Yeah, and you start creating shadow sides and you start being in denial and, and you, you start doing all the standard psychological stuff, which is just an unbelievably unhelpful thing to do, as Western psychology very wisely points out, right? Those models are not helpful. And, there's, and Western psychology has a lot to add on that front saying, yeah, that kind of denial is just going to cause trouble. And so that sort of spiritually induced denial can cause even more trouble. Um, so, yeah. But, but you seem to be saying that it's not that once you become an arahant, once you hit fourth path, it's not that you never experience anger again, you never experience restlessness again, you never experience conceit again, all these things that are supposed to go. Well, it's, conceit is a very funny one um, in the way it's defined, actually, and the way it's translated. But, but yeah, so I, I still get angry, right? You know, I can, I can get angry at, at things. Um, the experience of it is vastly nicer than it was before. That doesn't mean there isn't still a little bit of burn, some charge, some, some of that cortisol or adrenaline or whatever that feel, right? Which is not all pleasant, right? There can be, you know, a little bit of tension of muscle can occur and other things. Right, it tends to go a lot faster. the 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 fact that it's arising in the synchrony space or whatever is sort of a funny thing to say. I keep using that word, but it's the word that keeps seeming best. I don't know. Um, is really nice. So that that's the other funny thing. Like to have sadness arise and have it be fine. To have even grief arise and have it be fine. To have irritation arise and and have it be fine in some way. It's not that it's not still irritation. It still is, uh, or anger. Um, yeah, it's anger is vastly nicer now, <laughs> and because it's vastly nicer, it's not nearly so compellingly bad. And because it's not nearly so compellingly bad, it diffuses a lot faster, right? So some of the weird things about these feelings is they're really unpleasant and they're experienced in this sort of contracted, non-proportional way, and that makes us that exacerbates them, right? Because we're angry that we've been made angry, and then we're feeling something bad. Well, when most of the room or the park or the wherever is fine, like it's not as bad, right? Most of my experience, you know, even if I was feeling angry right now in the room from a certain ordinary point of view, the vast majority of the experiences of this space and all the colors and the, you know, the stove and the, the fan aren't angry. They don't hurt. It's just a, it's a small part of the room that's actually feeling this thing and having these thoughts or whatever. And because of that proportionality and that sort of transparent spaciousness or something, um, anger just doesn't have that thing. It doesn't have that that tightness that in space the same way it. that it does. Yeah, there's space all through it, and there's uh, it's it's naturally open, um, and that natural openness is really good. And so um, that, again, that's not the same as thing as it not. Ang I can still get snarky, right? I can still I still can have a bite, um, <laughs> right? But there's also a lot of power in that, right? So like. You know, there can be a lot of impetus to create something or write something or express something or write some wrong or make some change that needs to happen in the world, right? So one of the very, very reasonable critiques of meditative practice in general and Buddhism in specific, particularly with some of these, you know, sort of ideals that get thrown around, is that it can become a, a extreme exercise and just suck it up, whatever it is. You got to, you know, your boss is an asshole, suck it up. Your government sucks, suck it up. We're wrecking the planet, just suck it up and sit there and, and just, 
you know, stew in it or whatever and, and just be a quantumus or, you know, just be at ease or, I'm you know, a spiritual guy whatever. I'm cool it, yeah. yeah, I'm cool with it. Like, no, anger may be perfectly reasonable in those situations to motivate change. And, and there's a way to experience anger that can draw on that fire and that power, but still have it be much more proportional. It doesn't mean it's always going to go well, right? It's not like every angry thing I do works out well. It doesn't. Anger is, you know, when, from an elemental point of view, it's fire, right? And so fire burns. That's its nature. It can be very, fire can be very transformative, but it's, it's, you know, it burns things and it can spread and it can get out of control and, and you don't always know exactly how it's going to go. But that's true with everything, right? But the notion that we shouldn't use some of these energies um, to make this world a better place or to right wrongs or to speak up for ourselves or whatever. I mean, sometimes anger is telling you something. It doesn't mean it's always good or always useful. It isn't, but sometimes it really is. And so, um, and being able to come to some much more sort of skillful, spacious, but still honest relationship to these emotions has been a fascinating part of the journey. And I, I don't mean in any way to say I'm perfect at relating to all my emotions or to anger, lest anybody, or at any of the rest of them, lest anybody getting a false impression. But I definitely have a serious leg up in terms of relating to them skillfully in terms of what I at least personally had before. This is a serious upgrade. Right. It, it again, not everything I wished it was, but still way the heck better than what came before. There's something you said two or three times. It's not everything you wished it was. Yeah. What, so what, it was what, really what disappointing, right? So I came into this, you know, chasing the models and the maps and the dreams and the myths and the fantasies and pouring my energy into these practices and going on retreats and reading the teachings based on some of this false advertising. Right. And it was based on, I mean, and so the false advertising from a certain point of view, I should be very thankful for, right? Because it motivated a whole, on, yeah. a whole ton of effort. It drove me on with a weird mix of carrot and stick and whatever. And, and so, yeah, okay, great. Thank you, false advertising. And, <laughs> you know, but it also can create problems, right? And it created problems. It can create blind sides. And then you have to be honest and go, okay, wait a second. What's actually happening? What's actually happening here? What's what's changed? What what really happened, regardless of what it says happened? What honestly happened? And that sort of human honesty. So, and there's a way to sort of have the best of both worlds, kinda maybe, but it, it's really sort of a moving target, right? Where sometimes you really are called to to grandiose dreams and amazing things, and and you know to whatever spiritual high you're chasing or plateau or whatever. Um, and that can be great. And other times you just have to go like, no, I'm totally full of shit. I was just totally fooling myself. That didn't last. It didn't hold up. It wasn't what I thought it was. And be willing to be honest and be willing to be disappointed and be willing to, you know, say that to yourself and even other people and go, okay, yeah, no. And, and, and also just keep practicing and see what happens, right? So that's also just useful advice. Keep doing this. Whatever you think you've attained, just keep practicing and, and see where it goes. And, and it's interesting, the more I do this, the more weird stuff in the old texts like doesn't seem so weird to me anymore, right? Such as what? Yeah, like experiences of powers and stuff, not that they're the be all and end all or like of entities or other realms and I just totally lost a bunch of people, sorry. Nope, suddenly I sound totally crazy, <laughs> you know, but I wanna counter that with, I am a board certified ER doctor that has a highly functional life and, you know, su successful in multiple things and, and, you know, even if you think I'm crazy, well, I'm still actually doing pretty well in this life and so making it work out, well right? Yeah, I'm doing absolutely. all right. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's exactly. pretty functional crazy yeah. as crazy goes, <laughs> you know? And so, okay, fine. Um, but a lot of the stuff I thought was just totally flipping nuts. Actually, these are experiences that can have some sense of validity to them and some 
way that might you know have some personal meaning or some psychological insight comes from them or they really change something right some of these experiences i've had that were pretty friggin out there actually were like objectively beneficial i'm i'm very happy i had them they did something useful and okay cool they were weird i wasn't expecting them but all right great um and so uh, so it's it's a funny mix, like, and so going into this weird journey with simultaneously an open mind and enthusiasm, and yet keep your wits about you and be relentlessly humanly honest, and uh, figure out how to strike that strange balance, and realize it will be a moving target, and you'll have to reevaluate constantly as you go, and be willing to do that. I know you've mentioned a few times that not now, but I've heard you talking about you know you have friends who've you know Arahat's fourth path when you compare notes have they said the same things yeah I had this stuff in mind it's a bit disappointing but it's still pretty cool is that quite a common yeah theme, that's, that's it, an really, extremely yeah. common theme is right among, among yeah. those of us who are willing to be a little more honest yeah <laughs> um, so it's a common theme so like I was I was Shinzen Young was kind enough to invite me to this uh, international Zen teachers teacher um, he's sort of a weird mix he, he does his Shinzen stuff which Shinzen is a mix of Zen and vipassana and science and ordinary common sense and he was originally trained in shingon which is really not zen shingon is like this sort of strange tantra japanese thing right and so and he got some zen in there too but like shingon is like it's it's way out there right and but it's not what he teaches right so what he teaches is very sort of very sort of reasonable secular kind of um semi-scientific um uh, semi-scientific um, thing you know and so just check out his stuff uh, but like he was kind enough to invite me to this international teachers conference and because I was crazy enough to put out this book with our hat on the cover and then go into an elaborate description of what that meant which was very human in a lot of ways and very non-mythological in a lot of ways and I actually had a bunch of teachers that you've heard of and books you might have read and you know people who have some come up to me and say hey I'm really it was really nice of you to do that because I have this thing too and like it's this and we would get to sit there at lunch and you know and talk about it and it was cool right and so yeah so like there is some external validation that I'm just not totally you know nuts um, I mean maybe in some ways right? I'm mean, the ear doctor or A&E as you would call it in this <laughs> country right you've got to be a little crazy to do that right there, yeah. yeah I guess to be honest but you know like um, still like you know and so it, it's it's nice to be able to have those some of those conversations I mean that's that's one of the benefits right so I talked about some of the downsides of advertising in that way but some of one of the benefits is if you as I've said before hang out a shingle like that you do get to have some remarkable conversations with some really cool and interesting people you also get to have some really angry conversations with some really sort of uh, what's the word traditional uh, pissed off people and some people who just project all over you and put you on a pedestal and people who do all these strange things right um, you know see so it causes a wide range of transference reactions and then hopefully the counter transference isn't too bad um, but uh, just you know so but it has been nice to confirm some of this with um, other people and some other teachers and uh, people who taught me and people who I've helped bring up in this stuff and and so that's fun yeah and uh, rewarding and satisfying and that's really the, the the reason to do this right is to to you know um, be able to help people uh, explore this remarkable mind and body and life and see what's possible and what isn't and to be honest about it and uh, to share the journey and so that's been really cool I think something you originally put out when I first came across some of your, I don't know, it was Dharma Overground, your website or your book, but 
you, the the point you made was you were you seem to be saying look in the there's a lot of people out there who may be enlightened they're not saying anything about it there's a lot of westerners who are thinking i'd love to try meditating but what's the point because nobody's getting anywhere and you said i feel we have a sort of a moral obligation to say yes people are getting somewhere that it is worth it yeah i wonder if you could just say a little bit about that because i found it very encouraging when i read that definitely so i think not only is 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 there some uh, i don't mean to say any everybody has to be a teacher or everybody has to be out about this stuff right so that's i, I don't want to say that but i would like to encourage people if possible that that there is value in it and you can actually do it and not have people suddenly show up your at your door with torches hopefully i mean there's certain countries actually you might want to be careful right this is honest right you got to be careful with this stuff right don't be an idiot right you know your local situation and politics better than me so don't mean be responsible for anyone's bad bad decisions here um but, right exactly but encouraging people right when possible you know like to uh, you know, to be able to speak from the place of wisdom and and just own it when it actually arises. Not that some people haven't deluded themselves into thinking whatever momentary experience wasn't some higher form of wisdom or transformation. You know, it happens. Um, but when something really holds up year after year and mind state after mind state and challenge after challenge, and it really has that beneficial quality to it, that suffering reducing quality to it. If you're at all able, you know, try cautiously speaking out from that place and, and seeing if you can help some other people do it. Uh, you know, if it's safe and, and suits your personality and, and your, you know, your situation. So yeah, and you could do it and not have the world freak out. So I was, you know, an ER doctor in, you know, Alabama, which is an extraordinarily conservative state. And I think 70% of people or whatever voted for Trump, if that gives you any Gosh, sort yeah, of sense yeah, of like, yeah. oh, good, goodness gracious. Um, and so, right. And, and, but yet somehow I had this stuff on my website and again, nobody was, you know, beating down my doors with torches and pitchforks or whatever. So yeah, it was all right. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't remember at the time. I mean, it was, it was, if you mentioned this, it was in Buddhist circles. It was like throwing a hand grenade into a conversation. You, you wouldn't, Pretty much, yeah. you wouldn't get to the point of well, the reason he said it's because of this. You just say, "There's this guy out there. He said he's an Arahat, and there would just be an explosion six seconds later." That's true. How dare he? It's like, right? Do you want to hear the reasons? No, it wasn't going to happen. It was, it was just incendiary. And but there was a whole other bunch of people who were going, "Oh, cool, that's intriguing. Go and tell me more." But for a lot of people, it was just incendiary. And that's still true, right? So there's right. still whole whole communities and traditions that the mention of my name just causes them to gnash their Spitting teeth on and, the floor and, and yeah. you know, massive contraction of certain lower sphincters, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's got to be incredibly uncomfortable. I, I have deep sympathy for them, right? I mean, that's got to shoot, you know. Gotta hurt. So it's got to hurt, yeah. So you know, but it's a strange world, right? So play, praise and blame are going to occur, right? And you put yourself out there like that and you're, it's, you know, it's going to cause some wild stuff. So, and it has. And both, how both have you found bad. it? How have you found those strong reactions? Um, yeah. So, I mean, clearly very unfortunate from a certain point of view, but understandable, right? And, and you see that reaction to people who are sort of doing spiritual practices all the way back. Uh, you know, people having very strange reactions to them. The whole history of, if you, if you read back in the history of the Catholic mystics, 
you know, uh, they were just as likely to canonize them as burn them at the stake oh, or both, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, scientific materialists obviously take to this exactly like you'd figure. And I, you know, run in a world of scientists, you know, so you, I get plenty of flack there. And uh, there's politics there, right? So, you know, I, I just came from, you know, getting EEG data, you know, analyzed, you know, by someone at the Imperial College in London who was helping me out with this. But like there's politics just even associating with me in a research context because I claim what I claim, right? That's, that's, that's non-trivial toxic politics because the scientific materialist culture and the sort of skeptical culture can be pretty toxic. And so some of them won't work with you, is that what you're saying? Yeah, because right. Really or, okay. yeah, and so, or won't discuss things with me. Or, you know, if when I, I'm, you know, trying to figure out when I go to publish certain papers, like they will be modified based on the politics in terms of the languaging, in terms of, you know, what lengths I go to to, uh, you know, defend certain claims or the way, you know, and that's just reality, right? So um, if I, you know, if I'm going to attempt to get things published, I will have to sort of play some of those games, realizing that I think some of those games are really just sort of stupid, toxic bullshit. Ooh, man, that just burned some bridges. But it's just true. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, and, and not helpful and very sort of, and people can get very religious about their views, even if they think they have no religion. But functionally, it's the same, right? A fervent atheist is still a highly religious person, functionally, you know, or whatever. Some people who think, no, there are no weird meditative states, or if they are, they're just some sort of, you know, chemical malfunctioning hallucination, some temporal lobe seizure, have no value, and they're just your own stupid pathology or something. I mean, you get those reactions, and that's just this world, right? People are going, there's never going to be a grand consensus that these things are real, and, every, you know, and how to do them, and how to language them. That's simply never going to happen, and so this world is going to involve conflict. That's its nature you know, and one can either have, you know, some slightly tougher skin and get over it or just sort of back out and be quiet and not play the game. I totally understand why some people do that. Um, but for whatever strange reason, my conditioning uh, calls me to speak up and speak out and uh, try to push the field forward a little bit while the planet burns. <laughs> you know, sort of rearranging the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic from a certain Maybe. point of view. But, you know, yeah. what can you do? Yeah. I, mean, I, th I think um, what's interesting as well is around the same time you were setting up your website and writing your book, there was a lot of stuff coming through on the internet, on sort of YouTube and, you know, people doing interviews with people similar to yourself. But you say Muji and Eckhart Tolle and a lot of these people are out there kind of saying the same thing as you, but without maybe putting a name on it. And nobody batted an eyelid. Oh, yeah, cool. Oh, that's right. Right. oh, Eckhart Tolle, a lovely guy. Muji, you love him. Well, that gang that you yeah. is interesting. But they're saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But there was no there was no controversy. But in the Buddhist world, yeah. with the title, same words, it's just had this incendiary effect for Yeah, people are not so bright. God <laughs> man, that was harsh too. Sorry about that one. Like, but I mean seriously, like, come on kids, really like grow up. Yeah, Dear God. Absolutely. Anyway. <laughs> If, if, if I could harken back a little bit, because we, we, we mentioned the P word earlier, the power word. Yeah. That's, that's, that's something, that's another one of the things that comes with the Arahat shit. And as in some of the texts about, you know, those powers that come with this, there's siddhas, there's... Well, there's powers that come even without that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's powers even before awakening. They're not correlated necessarily. So there, in the old texts, there were plenty of people who had powers who didn't have any stages of insight at all. And uh, so... And you find that today, right? So you find there's powers, okay? So, but they're not correlated with awakening necessarily. It is true sometimes they arise together, 
Um, but the powers are unpredictable, they're unreliable, they often are not what people think they will be, they can do very strange things, they can be unbelievably tempting for some people, unbelievably confusing for others, uh, they're prone to abuse, they're, you know, what, what to say about the powers, they're, they're all that. So, um, uh, the, and you get to see the love-hate relationship to them in the old texts and today, and I totally get both reactions. Um, they can be a source of amazing arrogance and delusion and long, bizarre tunnels of crazy to nothing good, and they can also be used skillfully as well. They're like any technology. Um, it's, like, it's like saying the internet, right? So the internet is this unbelievable thing that allows you to talk almost instantaneously to people thousands of miles away and instantly have access to records beyond the people who thought of the Akashic Records dreams, you know, and all of this stuff. And people do really good things with that and really bad things with that. And same with the powers. Uh, they're, but they're just much less reliable than the great god Google. You know, if you're going to have <laughs> faith in something, I would have faith in the great god Google. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's not that these experiences don't occur. And then how do you relate to them? How do you conceptualize them? What do they mean in terms of ontology? Well, those are all up for grabs. There are various skillful or unskillful ways you can relate to those questions, depending on the person and the situation. Um, but people have these experiences for better, for worse, and occasionally they have them as collective experiences, meaning it's not just in one person's head. Two people or more people collectively would agree, okay, something happened there. We saw something there. We felt something there. We heard something there. We knew something there. Something was occurring, right? And, you know, not that common, but certainly not non-existent. I mean, in, in the old text, they seem to be listed. There seems to be a certain number, and there's traditionally there's sort of the divine eye, the divine era. But those it, are huge categories, right? So the divine eye just means seeing things that other people aren't necessarily seeing. But what you might see is vast, or the divine ear, what you might hear is vast. And then there's all kinds of, even the standard listings of the powers that you find in like, um, the Visuddhimagga or the Vimudimagga or the Fruits of the Homeless Life, which I think is like Diganakaya 2, or I can't remember which one it is. Um, maybe it's 10. I don't know. I'm bad with this. Anyway. These are um, all old yeah, these are Buddhist all commentaries and yeah, texts and teachings. You know, various places where they talk about the powers and list the powers. And then you look at the stories of the lives of the great practitioners, and there are all kinds of powers that they even manifest that they're, that they're doing back in the day that aren't even in the standard lists. right? And the standard lists are pretty vague. Um, a lot of them, sort of broad categories, really. And you find those things today. So you find people who are having these experiences today, and on rare occasions you're having them sort of collectively, meaning multiple people witness the same thing from their vantage points. Um, yeah, happens. Uh, it's easy to get super fascinated by that. Um, it can easily become a long, uh, just a huge distraction, right? It, way more important to eliminate the sense, the sort of, you know, false illusion of a doer, knower, controller um, than it is to obtain the powers. But if they happen, it's worth recognizing that they can happen because if you meditate well and long enough, most people will get into some kinds of powers you experience, even if it's really low level stuff. But some people can really be freaked out by that. And so having honest conversations that sort of normalize these things and be willing to talk about these taboo subjects is important. Just like we should be talking about, you know, what it is that, you know, we should be talking about sex and we should be talking about death and we should be talking about drugs and we should be talking about these things because when you don't talk about them, it's worse, right? 
And so, you know, we should be talking about war. We should be talking about greed. And I think if you're going to do spiritual, you know, practice well enough and long enough at the level where you're actually going for serious stuff and getting concentration powerful, given that it's pretty likely some kind of powers these things arise, it's helpful to have had some conversations about that and to have a culture in which you can talk about it with other people, to have some language for it, just like any other weird human experience. You know, we have all these strange experiences. It's very helpful to be able to talk about dreams. It's very helpful to be able to talk about our deepest feelings and fears. It's very helpful to be able to talk about all these kinds of experiences. And this is just one more of those topics. Can I ask what sort of powers you've experienced or put you oh, yeah. where do, other people are? Where do I start? Um, like, and it depends on what you call power. Like from a certain point of view, like genres are power. Like uh, being able to just flood your body with a sense of bliss or peace that's not related to anything. Genres are these deep concentrated yeah, meditative like, states. Yeah. Those are really skillful powers, right? And that's really, that's a, that's a capability that most people don't have, but it's a learnable skill. And so just being able to sit down and drop down into places of deep, tranquil peace or quiet or expansiveness or spaciousness or even nothingness, that's, that's a real skill. And that's actually one of the most useful ones I learned. It's the one I do the most often. Like it's the one I would recommend the most of all the powers. That's a really, and it just helps. It's just good. And it can serve as a useful platform for not only more wise behavior sometimes for a few people, but also it's a, gets your mind in a good place for doing insight practices. And so, and can help moderate some of the destabilizing effects of those, right? Because insight practices can sometimes be a rough ride as we deconstruct our notion of ourselves, as we, as I'm, you know, usually say, as we rewrite the operating system while the computer is still running, right? <laughs> Doesn't always go so well in the short term. Um, and uh, so, um, yeah, what else? Like I've traveled out of body. You know, it's not that weird. Plenty of people have done that. I've had, you know, super lucid dreams that seem more real than this one. I've occasionally seemed to know things. This is a rare one. I'm not much prognosticator, um, but occasionally known things before they happened. Um, uh, occasionally been able to manipulate energy. So that's a weird one. Like m not just in my body, but in other people. Um, that's one of those ones you have to be really careful manipulate with. Manipulate energy? What, what, what happens there? Yeah, where you like literally make somebody feel something different just by doing whatever you do. Literally change the way they are experiencing reality. So there are people who are way better at that one than me. There are people who can just do this like really, really reliably. Some of the major gurus, like they could just touch people and all of a sudden their consciousness is exploding and they're, you know, have energy blasting up and down their spine or whatever. Like some people really have that gift. I'm way more of an occasional tourist. So, but there have been a few moments where I could clearly do something. The other person was like, whoa, what are you doing? Um, so anyway, that's just one you have to be really careful with because the ethics of that one is really yeah, sure, complicated. Sure. Um, but, you know, been able to do that one on occasion. Um, what else? Occasionally been able to see through my closed eyelids like and like open my eyes and stuff. Uh, I've been able to draw things in the air. That's not that weird, right? So if anybody saw Doctor Strange and they're like drawing those orange discs in the air and stuff, I've been able to do that on occasion. Only when I'm powered up on retreat, it's really hard in daily life. Occasionally a little bit, but not much. Um, and occasionally other people have been able to see it when I've drawn stuff, which is also really cool. These were practitioners with some serious strengths. These were not normal people in normal states of mind, but so that's where it gets way more interesting, right? Let's see here, what else have I um, uh, been able to do? I was actually walking one time um, and I like doing walking meditation. I came to a wall and my sort of etheric or astral body or whatever just kept going and like went halfway through the wall. 
and then kind of was like, oops, wait a second, and kind of snapped back. I wasn't sure what my, my standing body would do if I wasn't there, like, with it or in it. So these are weird experiences, right? Um, what else? Like, and again, this is like, this sounds so tawdry, like, it just sounds like it's, it's like almost like talking about one's sex life. It's got that sort of weird <laughs> thing, right? You know, but like, uh, I don't know. Um, but uh, let's see here, what are some of the other ones? Occasionally I've gotten to hear or see other people's thoughts. That's a weird one, right? People find that really fucking creepy, by the way, if you tell them. Like, like people really hate that one, period. Imagine, Just yeah, straight yeah, up. Yeah. Like, only done that a few times, only had the experience a few times, and the, like, the first time or two was dumb enough to say something to the people. Like, that you can permanently make a creeped out mm-hmm. enemy by doing Ching, that. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's like, don't do that. That's really stupid. Mm-hmm. I was a moron. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see here. Uh, I don't know. That's that's a start. It's a pretty good list. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. I mean, I was reading um, about Deepa Ma, you know, Joseph Goldstein's teacher. Yeah, yeah, famous. Yeah, she, she was way, way she more powers even than me. build buildings in the air and, and yeah. she could predict, you know, say what somebody's going to say in a speech in a year's time. I mean, yeah, she's like a total... I'm, I'm a tourist. She's a native, right? I mean, nothing... You, would your experience... Of what you've seen, would you say yeah, that that's probably genuine stuff? Oh, there's lo- there's lots seen. of people who are around Deepama when she did all kinds of stuff. Like, there's too many firsthand reports, right? And she was famous for being able to do things like you you, you know, like a slice of potato would suddenly taste like chocolate, and like she just hand it to you and you taste it and it tastes like chocolate, and you're like, what? Really? Yeah, really. Uh, and there are people who can just do these weird things, and I've been around people who are way more powersy than me, and it's remarkable being around them. I'm not that powersy as people go, right? Powersy. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I'm not. Like I, I'm a tourist. Like I can get there. Sometimes these things happen. Rarely, not that common. You know. Okay, I'm glad I had some texts and some people who could talk about them to help me normalize these experiences and put them in context so they didn't become some big thing. Me thinking I was either barking crazy or the savior of the universe or some crazy shit, right? You know, just you know, keeping them in perspective when these experiences occur and relating them skillfully is really the big trick. So, and um, I used to think the most important thing was the powers, was like, can you attain them? How strong can you get the experiences to be? How reliable and predictable are they? And now I think, no, by far the most important thing with the powers is if and when they arise, can you relate to them skillfully and not be an ass about them, right? So that's way more important and it's not as easy a skill as cultivating them. If you want to cultivate them, you can look on the Fire Casino website or read my book or go on intensive retreats and God help you. Like, if you're cultivating the powers, by the way, and you're seriously chasing these things, just recognize you can get really friggin' weird and these can be destabilizing experiences. I would not consider chasing the powers entirely safe and pretty much nobody else does either. So just like the standard advice and warnings do apply. Um, But that said, there are people who explore these things and do just fine, so, you know. Um, it's like rock climbing. Just realize it's rock climbing. It's not safe, but it can be fun and interesting. It's, it's in, there's just a last sort of last bit about the powers. I mean, it's interesting. You know, reading a lot of the texts and and the Buddha was, you know, you you shouldn't get involved in the powers. They're just a sideshow. They'll distract you. Yeah, and yet he was constantly advertising uh, and, 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 based and, and on them and demonstrating them and doing them and yeah. using them. Yeah. there are way more instances of the Buddha yeah. demonstrating powers than saying don't cultivate them in the yeah. old texts. And same with Mahamogalana. And some, you know, some of the other well, people the other who guys, are, they're all levitating, yeah. all and sorts nuns of as well, stuff. right? Yeah, so yeah. there are nuns who could do this stuff too. So if you if you look in um, the 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 Great Disciples of the Buddha is a good book for this kind of stuff, mm, okay. or the Teragata or Terigata, um, also some of the pro- poems of the early Buddhist uh, monks and nuns. Uh, you'll find those in the Pali Canon. 
talking a little bit about this stuff as well. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the you know, Great Disciples of the Buddha, I just can't recommend that book enough. And just read it with a really human eye and uh, notice that they're mammals and people. Uh, and, and I remember one particular, I can't remember, you, you'll know which one it is. There's a bit where a, a king, and I can't remember which, says to the Buddha, tell me what are the fruits of the practice? And he then just goes, the fruits of the practice, and he just lists the powers. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere in there he also says, yeah, there's, you know, there's lots of happiness and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But he goes, and I was, well, that's, as you say, that's a pretty strong advert for... Yeah, right. What do you think his take was on that? What, why was he... Well, both are true. Oh, like, okay. that's, that's my take on it. I have this, basically the same take the Buddha did. Yeah. Amazing, possible, doable, weird, can be really destabilizing, can be an unbelievable distraction. Um, can be a source of wisdom and transformation, can be a source of stupid assholery and abuse and fixation, fascination and frustration for people who don't get them and comparison and competition and judgment and fear and terror, right? And, you know, all kinds of other bizarre reactions, every reaction you've ever seen in any movie to anybody who had magical yeah, abilities. Lasting mental health issues. Oh, like yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, not safe. Yeah. But, you know, it's like anything. Driving a car isn't safe. We drive cars yeah. all the time. Taking drugs isn't. It's not going to stop people taking them. Right. Just, exactly. Just, as you, say, Same you, may kind of well, you may as well have the conversation sure. and, and get right. it out there. And so, yeah, yeah, I think honest disclosure and, and ta you know, conversation about this is, is the, the moral high ground. It's a slightly weird point of view, but yeah, it's certainly one of the possible moral high grounds. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say. Fair enough, fair enough. Is, is there any, you know, in most of the practice there are, the actual practices of the meditation, the results of it, there's often downsides and difficulties. Is there, when, when you've, you know, you've, you've hit fourth path, they say it's sort of the end of the practice, are there downsides and difficulties you experience because of that experience that are peculiar to it? No, no. except the memory thing. The memory well, thing is really the, the okay, so the, the only obvious downside to this is the memory thing. It changes memory, and, and this is, it can change memory long before fourth path, right? And even before path, um, these practices where you're just constantly in this moment experiencing sights and sounds and things and, and can make memory weird because um, I don't have in some ways the sort of, there's not as much adrenaline and stuff that's released and sort of released in quite the same way and is sustained and is perpetuated and memories are laid down with adrenaline and cortisol and stress hormones, right? That's why we remember things. We remember pleasant things less well than when we remember painful things. That's just the way our bodies are wired. Yeah, and okay, yeah. since my body physiologically still has some of that, but it doesn't have as much of that, it doesn't lay down memories as strongly. I, I forget things more easily. I re don't remember conversations that someone else was there for. Oh, don't you remember that stressful thing? Not as much. Like. Or did, oh, yeah, but also some basically sort of useful cues like, you know, that sort of stress of remembering, oh, I've got to make sure I go to my dentist appointment tomorrow. Or I've got to like, there's just not as much memory of that either. So I find myself using a lot of like calendars and to-do lists. I've gotten really good at remembering um, in that moment, oh, this is something I need to do in a few days. I need to put this in my calendar and set an alarm. So I'm happy for digital technology because <laughs> otherwise there's just stuff I wouldn't remember in quite the same and, way. And, and you, you feel pretty sure that's a result. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've talked to a bunch of other friends that have this. this they all this got is the same thing. Yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of it's them. Common, this, is, yeah. this is a common side effect, right? And it's a good thing because there's plenty that, like, do I need to remember that? No. Yeah, like, be, yeah. very yeah. happy to yeah. not remember that yeah. in some kind of way. But sometimes it's really useful to have those sort of, like, emotional twangs and cues that, oh, yeah, you're supposed to do this. 
you know, and not have them be more subtle uh, sometimes is useful. But for me, they're more subtle most of the time. So, because um, uh, internal experience is not impacting this creature in quite the same chemical way it used to from that sort of point of view, um, to use kind of ordinary language. And uh, so that, that's the only obvious downside other than the fact that you want to share this with other people and most people just aren't gonna believe it or be in a place to hear it. Like, cause that's a really natural thing, right? This is cool, this is better. Like, I wanna tell my friends, I wanna tell my family, I wanna tell other, I wanna tell people on the street, hey, there's this thing, right? You know, you, and yet, yeah, most people it's just not gonna work, right? They're, they're not into it, they're not gonna hear it. And, and that's sort of disappointing and like, ah, oh, yeah, but, ah, uh, oh yeah, but, ah, uh, you know? And it's just a normal human reaction to something really cool and this is really cool. And uh, so that's a downside. Um, yeah, and then like, you know, to have conversations about ordinary experience, because my experience of reality is somewhat different, like, and that doesn't make me a total alien, but it does like mean that I'm relating slightly differently to some kind of aspects of experience, particularly certain religious questions and existential and philosophical questions. They're, they're, I just don't, you know, a substantial portion of the core ones, like this experience just straightforwardly resolves. No self versus true self, you know, free will versus determinism, you know, like, you know, immediacy versus things about time. Like those are not problems in the way they were before because there's an experiential high degree of clarity that just answers those, right? And, and so that's kind of different. Um, and so, yeah, okay, cool, water's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll take some water now. Thank you. And so, yeah, I'll just pause while you do that. So we stop for a break at that point, but there's plenty more to come. In the next section, Daniel will be talking about the science around Arahat Ship, his own research project into mindfulness, is Arahat Ship the end of the path, his own personal practice, and roller drums, life after death. Woo!